0: Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans each week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show! Quarter of videos and tabletop role playing aficionado. Welcome to my weekly behind the scenes, no players allowed DM only live stream. Crafting ice which I build right and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frostbane. If you're playing characters of all Robin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this is the wrong day. Today is Thursday. Tomorrow is Friday. This is not meant for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. There will be spoilers. Stream our DD sessions live on YouTube every Friday evening. Watch all of our DD live series as well as reviews and let's plays on my YouTube channel and read weekly session recaps at roguewatson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Rogue watson and join our official Discord server. Invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel and the streams, go to patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign reviews roll20.net. And for streaming, I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. Good morning, Brathagoras and Nathan. I see you all in the chat. Uh, actually, I consider a, uh, being like 12 minutes late to be a huge win, <laughs> uh, when it comes to the baby handling. So, uh, I have been far later than that. Can't quite nail the perfect start time yet, but, uh, it is what it is. So I find myself in an interesting, um, situation where obviously if you've been watching these streams and keeping up with the, uh, the show, then you know that we actually haven't really reached the point that i planned last week which was um planning for the players to uh follow avarice's suggestions of uh going down into the cisterns i literally told the players where to go but of course my dearest players uh did not quite follow those instructions, which is fine. And you know, this is, this is a very difficult area to plan for that reason. This is not at all a traditional dungeon crawl, uh, you know, where you snoop around and go room to room. Instead, you are being escorted by guards. It is a, uh, every single situation could be, could potentially explode into a fight, which is actually what happened uh, last week. Uh, but it's also a lot of like social encounters and exploration, all that. So from a design standpoint, Uh, It's absolutely terrifying and difficult to plan, probably one of the most challenging uh, type areas to prep as a DM, which is a a fortress-style area that has the potential at any time to turn into a combat encounter, but could also be a stealth encounter, could also be a series of social encounters, like it's got basically everything, which hopefully from the player standpoint is really awesome to be able to dive into. Uh, because obviously, from the DM standpoint, it is—it's um, it, a challenge which I have uh, risen to. So in this case, uh, you know, we had the social scene with Horror, which was supposed to kind of be a, a weird, disappointing scene for the players and and really vex them in terms of oh maybe we're not supposed to actually complete this because he doesn't want to leave. Because I wanted to create, and Chris kind of mentioned this in the Frostside chat. I really wanted to create shades of gray here. I did not want to make. Um, Hadroth, this mustache twirling villain and this in the, the cult of devil worshippers and all that, that didn't interest me. What interested me instead was having a group of people who are different um, because they found Shardolin and they've been um, exposed to it and maybe that has been corrupting them in some ways and yet in this case... Um, Kadroth is feeling very, um, you know, he's he's got that kind of ego leader thing going on, but also he genuinely does care about his people and wants to protect them and keep them safe. So I really was looking at kind of like a Magneto-type situation here, because I think Magneto is one of the most interesting characters in the Marvel comics. Uh, even though he's oftentimes a villain, um, he's very much like a, um, I mean, he straight-up joins the X-Men at one point for a, a vast amount of time. So that's kind of what I was going with. Um, and then you create Avarice who is this other party who is in the same location and both of them, it's very much like that branching video game thing of like, you know, Hey, you can choose a path here or, you know, the players could have taken out them both or whatever the hell they wanted to do. I think it did go over very well with the dressing down of the party so that we did not have the worrisome, like, okay, we're going to attack avarice. Instead, the way I role played the scene and the way the party accepted that was to uh, basically be treated like they're being scolded by a teacher or a parent, which is exactly how I wanted to get that across with Avarice. He's supremely confident and powerful and, um, not necessarily antagonistic. She would want to work with the players, which is kind of what I was doing here. Now the players were kind of pushing me a little bit, which I liked in terms of, okay, well, what do you know? And now I'm honestly leaning towards, um, having because in in the book it's valin who provides a lot of this information and the overarching plot uh to the detriment of the book because what basically happens is at some point during the dragon fight which is the chartle dragon uh valin shows up and, and actually i think she technically shows up as written like on the way back from sunblight she's like just shows up in her dog sled with kobolds and says hey you need a lift and uh, she ends up being this critical NPC for the entire rest of the campaign, and she knows everything about what's going on. It's just really poorly written in terms of the giant info dump the players get. I, now, I didn't want to get rid of her, but what I wanted to do was expand on the other wizards and, and really make all the Arcane Brotherhood stuff a very important part of this campaign. And what's interesting is because I tied Avarice directly into one of my players, and kind of too, Edmund I'm kind of tying into the Arcane Brotherhood in general, Uh, The problem, my one regret is that I didn't launch a attack uh, because of uh, his um, backstory was that he's being hunted, and I think at some point I established the fact that it was the Arcane Brotherhood hunting him, Uh, and my big regret is that I hadn't had at least one combat encounter where that had occurred yet, where they sent, like, these mage assassins after him because of the stuff he knew, so because i didn't do that i then kind of reminded the player raymond um i, I te- and i've been texting all my players about their you know secrets and stuff um like hey okay this is what you know about what's going on and so uh, right before that session started and then when he was able to launch into like oh what are you doing here you know we had that little back and forth that was partly what that was based on so it was interesting because he pushed hard on that and i could as the dm reveal some of the information i was going to save for Valin with avarice uh, which is basically explaining a lot of the backstory that these Brotherhood know, which in my campaign is that a lower-ranking wizard by the name of Ness Lantomir, who in the book is already dead, um, stole a artifact from the Arcane Brotherhood, which is the Professor Orb, which I am leaning towards making it a piece of Chardolin. And I don't know. You kind of want to have fun with the Professor Orb, but also it feels like it should be like a really important... I'm really turning into kind of a MacGuffin in my campaign. Um, and she stole that artifact for reasons that nobody's quite sure of. And not long after she stole it and the Brotherhood managed to track her to Icewind Dale, um or maybe it's because of what happened in Icewind Dale, they weren't sure where she went, um, this permanent darkness happened. So in the Brotherhood's point of view, they don't think, maybe they don't think Aurel even has anything to do with this. Maybe they're thinking uh, more like, this is purely the fault of a renegade wizard who stole something and went here for some reason, and then this permanent darkness happened, so maybe it was like a, a backfiring effect of that, which is partially true. Um, What actually happened is she used the artifact to locate Etherin, and then Oral freaked out and put this whole place under security lockdown, which um, maybe is not known by anybody except followers of Oral. So I could have Avarice give that information if the players decide to work with her, ally with her completely, and I think that'd be a really fun give and take where they they depose Kadroth and uh, ultimately his loyalists, which is going to be, you know, a couple of these cultist stat blocks and put her in charge. And then she will agree to free the speaker, um, you know, basically give them back the town, give the, whatever, the speaker control of his castle again and take the rest of the cult and leave, which would be satisfying to the players. And what's awesome about that is then I can keep avarice as kind of what I did with um what's her name from Tomb of Annihilation the sorceress lady that I also used for Chris's character uh Zendala uh kind of use it like that where it's this character that can come in and out of the story as I need fit um but would mainly come in at the end with her now bolstered even stronger forces and she would be you know hopefully um Maybe he's decided, uh, Balrava's decided to keep on, you know, spying with her, even though the party's aware of it, just as a, you know, as an ally. And then she can show up at the end at the Caves of Hunger and do the classic, like, oh, you led us right to it. And I really like, um, somebody was mentioning this in the Discord, I think it was Tal, um, that it's funny. He was going to borrow one of my ideas, and now I'm going to borrow one of his, which is once Avarice realizes what's at the center of Etherin, it's it's the Mythalar and the Mithalar... Um, aural uh, used to ascend to godhood um avarice wants that for herself so instead of she's like okay i, I was you know, charlatan for her is just a means to an end she thinks this is all great and stuff and she she teased that if you know i i teased that in last session is like i you know this is stuff that's leading towards a source and i want to find that source and in this case the source is the city and the city has a the power source of the Mythalar, which would um she thinks or maybe she has the power to ascend to godhood so i'm basically going to make avarice a cool cool character that reappears uh, later in the campaign and it looks like we're headed towards that big combat fight here and now they will gain access to the speaker the speaker is going to be a fun situation because technically you are rescuing somebody and he is a complete asshole, which is going to be fun uh, for me to role-play, and the characters will probably have fun with that, um, in that he's like, oh, it's about time someone showed up here, you know, and, and basically confirm everything that she said in terms of, you know, he had opened the, which I'll have to write that dialogue sequence, but, you know, he had invited Kadroth in here because he was interested in, you know, what Kadroth's findings were, and um, the Shardolan and all that, but then, um, you know, his nosiness and general, you know, unease at, at their growing numbers and stuff, and eventually Kadroth did take over, and it was a big um really a battle between these two forces um and maybe it would hint the fact that maybe the speaker's guard started first like there was some kind of altercation nobody's quite know i i, I do want to kind of create a little bit of shades of gray there but the ultimate per, um the ultimate result was that um all of the speaker's guards were basically killed and are now floating in the cistern beneath the the keep which the party would could then discover so in terms of freeing the speaker right now which they basically have you know, they're in for a weird situation that I have to now respond to, which is, this is not a hostile environment, but they have taken down several guards, I think rendered, at least killed one, and rendered the other two unconscious, obviously they could coup de grâce if they want to, um, and so they're kind of under the the gun in terms of a ticking clock, which is going to affect their ability to rest. Um, so right now, you know, they took out guards, basically all the guards on the second floor, they're supposed to be having a guard escort them, so they'll have to deal with that, Val Robin obviously has a superior Charisma check, now he's not, unless he uses Suggestion or Charm person, it would still be a, you know, thing where he could roll, it's, a, it's an interesting thing you have to adjudicate as a DM, which is you want to reward somebody for having good Charisma stats and good role playing and making those Charisma rolls if you call for it, but on the other hand, you have to realize that just being really good at talking doesn't necessarily work like a Jedi mind trick the way that actual, like, charm person spells work so, or suggestion. So I always try to to gauge that at a case-by-case basis depending on what they're trying to convince people of. So you'll definitely see that going on in the actual um, stream, as I'm sure will come up, where he will have to use uh, his speaking skills and probably some spells in order to convince people that, every hey, everything's okay, we're fine down here, how are you? Um, And including keeping the speaker under wraps, because if they walk around with the speaker, that would definitely get them in trouble. So they they can talk to the speaker, but they're going to have to explain to the speaker, like, hey, you you have to stay in here until we clear the rest of the dungeon, basically. So they took out the two guards up here. They took out the one that was escorting them, them, um, which means when I put them back onto level one... They just have the one guard who is outside of Kadros' room and that will be the one where they'll have to do some kind of check as he'll be like where's the buddy that was escorting you guys. Um, That might require some kind of check or or something. Um, If they were really quick about taking this guy out maybe I would allow that but they'd have to be really smart about it. The one thing I need to be prepared for is if they really make a lot of noise and end up in a bigger combat fight and I really bring down the entire wrath of this keep. Um, that could get pretty dicey. You kind of have to run it because you don't want to say, oh, well, the, you know, the the guards eventually overpower. Like, you can't hand wave that. So, I mean, what's nice is Cadroth does have a secret door here so he can flee. Um, if shit really does hit the fan, you could bring in guards from all of these towers, which I'm really just using these cultist stat blocks. I think as written, um, they are... Supposed to be three in each room. Chapter one quests under C four guard towers contains three cultists at rest, um, which I could just use the cultists because I've been using those. The guys upstairs were thugs. That was a thug stat block which I added here as a way of up as a way of upscaling this dungeon and also making it so the players don't just throw their weight around and kick everybody's ass because one of the problems with this campaign is, you know, while I appreciate chapter one having just like 10 different quests to do for tier one, there's also a big difference between level one and level four. So you kind of have to uh scale each individual area slightly up or down depending on when the players hit it. In my case, it's mostly going to be upscaling because I'm, my, my players are good enough at d d where I kind of have to upscale things. And what's interesting is I didn't actually change that combat fight The players were down a player, they were down a party member, um, which made it more challenging for them, but because they started the fight and I didn't, I decided not to back off on what I did. Now, I could fudge the dice a little bit, I did with one enemy, I didn't with another, Uh, you know, it just kind of depends on how I'm feeling and what the time looks like, but uh, that ended up not being a factor there because uh, they ultimately started that fight. Raymond, uh, bless his chaotic uh, neutral soul, (laughs) started that fight with the dust of... Sneezing and choking, which I didn't do during last stream, but I did roll basically a treasure hoard for Kadroth's bedchamber because I thought, um, you know, in lieu of having all these guys carry their own individual money and stuff, which I guess you could do, but uh, Kadroth just has a bunch of uh, loot in his area, which, interestingly enough, um, maybe they'll remember, maybe they'll forget, or maybe I'll remind them. I appreciate this, but uh, Edmund did leave behind a lot of the treasure because there was a guard coming down, and he was quickly swiping things and trying to cover his tracks. I really loved that bit of role-playing um, I think I did give him inspiration after all that, but that was the main thing I was impressed with is that he purposely said, okay, I'm not going to just try to grab all this treasure, even though I probably would have let him. Instead, uh, I'm going to purposely grab like the few pieces that I'm most interested in, which would be the Chardolin and the crafting, and that dust, and then leave the rest, although that was really, really impressive. No, Frey is not much inclined to sneaky sneaky. Um, th- Honestly, this is the least stealthy party we've had in any of our campaigns in the last four, five or six years, whatever long it's been, Um, we usually always have a rogue or we have somebody who's capable of casting invisibility or some means of getting around, um, you know, teleporting or something. And this party is low enough level and doesn't really have the right kind of archetypes to actually do the stealth thing. The stealthiest person is Thimbleweed and he is a uh, ranger. So uh, that is an interesting factor because you know the, the few times we've had a situation like this which is um like feather gale spire and uh maybe fort belwarian there's probably been a few others where somebody breaks off and does like the stealthy thing uh i don't think it's going to happen here so instead the whole party is kind of staying together in this case though you can use val Robin's, uh charisma score and kind of mind fuck spells to be able to get around so the one test they'll have is basically this one guard here who's there <sighs> depending on how they role play it um or if they want to lure him Somewhere to take him out, they could do that. But, you know, I'm on the player side, generally. What I, you know, because I don't want to trigger a fight. That's the last thing I want to do. The players would have to really shit the bed or really just play really stupid for me to actually sound a massive alarm and get a fight started because, narratively, it works so much better if they're doing the stealth thing and, you know, eventually reach that trap door and go inside. So I'm certainly not wanting to run that kind of a fight, um... Right now, I've got in the Northwest Tower, which is the one I presume they're going to be hitting, has two cultists and a cult fanatic, so I did upscale that one slightly, and that one will have to be some kind of a fight. I don't know if a simple charisma check would allow access to the trap door, because again, charisma checks are not Jedi mind trick. You don't get to just trick people into letting you do something they wouldn't normally do. Um... It might, you know, reveal information or, you know, if they say, hey, what's down in that cistern? They're like, okay, that area's off limits. Sorry, we can't let you in there. You know, it can make people treat you well, but it's not gonna just solve your problems. Now he does have command, he's got sleep, he's got suggestions, he's got calm emotions. If he uses a spell to actually get past them in some kind of a, you know, just using a spell to shut down combat, 100% will allow that. Anytime a player expends a resource, that is technically an encounter at that point. And I am uh, totally fine with him doing that, and he's got plenty of options, and that will allow him to really, um, you know, do his thing, which is cool. You always want to have players do their thing. I had no idea what Thimbleweed's class was. Um, you know, I don't think we actually show it. That's... One thing I don't do is... Um, I guess because we're on roll 20, we, we, we keep most of the screen, you know, as the as the grid map, so I don't have, like... Uh you know a lot of d and d streams will just show the cams and they'll have all that information um I know that some streams will do fancy stuff like show the character sheet or show like the main info and stuff. The problem is I'm running the stream at the same time as dming so I can't do that if I had some a separate like producer running things then they could you know do the camera work and all that and that'd be great but for me it's all I can do to try and keep track of okay whose webcam is on so I need to go to this screen to make sure everybody's shown so uh I don't think I do say that. If you ever read the recaps, which I'm calling you out that you maybe do not, <laughs> I do mention that at the beginning of each recap, what level and what class everybody is, including their subclasses. And uh, obviously, Platinum patrons have access to all of my notes, including copies, of, uh, PDF copies of their character sheets for each level, which is something I've added newly to uh, this campaign. So kind of a fun thing if you ever want to look up uh, what their character sheet is. ...in terms of what kind of spells and things they've got access to. And if we ever focus on a character for a good amount of time... ...you may notice that I'll try to open up their character... sheet, ...especially for out of combat... Um, ...and try to glance at it so people on the stream can see it. Yes, is a Swarm Keeper Ranger. Uh, he is a Gnome, I believe. He's a Gnome Ranger. Uh, Edmund is a Human Artificer Alchemist. Celeste is a Half-Orc uh, Monk of the Sun Soul. Frey is a Halfling Barbarian of the Beast... And although we've, I think we have forgotten the beast thing last couple times we've raged. And Valraven is a Eladrin Bard uh, College of Eloquence. So there you go. Uh, all of them level four. And to answer your question, um, no, I do not plan on leveling them up after this because, uh, Jeremy, uh, we only just leveled up before we reached here. And it's not my intention to level them up after every zone. Um, previously, it's been every two areas, which has felt right because each area takes about three or four sessions because we only go about two hours. Um, we go shorter than a lot of d streams are, or a lot of DD sessions are. Um, I would like to carry level four as long as possible because once you get a level four, you're out of tier one. So you kind of have to complete all the chapter one missions at that point. Um, but I, I could scale things up for level five for sure. At the very least, we need to do, we need to finish this area. We need to do all of the East Haven stuff. And then assuming the players still want to go to Goodmead and do that, um, we'd probably also squeeze Goodmead in our, also for level four. Uh, and then at some point when the players get to East Haven, I will basically give them the quest to go do Corcaloke. Um and then at some point in between there, it'll probably have to be it'll probably be enough sessions where I'll have to level them to level five, because it'll have been too long. Um and I think I've got it set where um Sunblight is designed for level five. So as long as they're still level five and haven't been level five for too long, um we're still on track. Yeah, so I've got level five of sunblight, and then after um, they complete sunblight, they would then reach level six is my current leveling up. Celeste is a half-orc. Yep. Um, she's used that Relentless Endurance before and Savage Critical before. So, it's been pretty effective. Um. So yeah, uh, hopefully they'll get past this guard. Um, they can exit here and... Again, uh, assuming they're not taking up too much time and they're playing it smart, and they've already given a good excuse, then I would let them give them kind of free reign. I've already, its I don't feel this being a big exploration thing because I already told them where they need to go, which is the Northwest Tower holds the trap door. Like, I literally just spelled it out for them. Uh, because otherwise, I think you could waste a lot of time just running around the towers and be like, nope, not this one, not this one. So it was just easier to give them information with from Avarice. Um, and then in here... This can turn into a social situation, but most likely will turn into a combat encounter and hopefully a quick one for the players because uh, you know there's a chance that they could sound some kind of alarm. Uh, But they're pretty cut off from everybody else. If you notice the stairs lead to the top battlements, which I believe doesn't have anybody on the top. Yeah, so you can see the top's actually empty. Um, And otherwise you'd have to go all the way to the top and then across to reach the next tower, or you'd have to exit this door. So as long as they cover the door, um. Then, honestly, you can probably take these guys out pretty easily, and they're a lot easier than three thugs. There's two, uh, cult cultists and a cult fanatic. In terms of adding Shardelin items to their thing, I think I was gonna have the cult fanatics have the Shardelin amulets, which do have a chance to absorb spells, which could be pretty interesting, especially if they if if Robin starts to cast a spell. Um, I'll need to rem- remind myself of my own rule for that. I've got a Shardle Amulet rule on here, which is uh, when a spell at first or third level is cast within 30 feet of the wear and the amulet is empty, I can roll a d4. On a one, the spell's effect is nullified and the spell's magic is absorbed within the amulet. So that would be an interesting uh, twist to him trying to cast a spell. Uh, there is a chance that it could be absorbed within the amulet um and yes my players would get a chance to loot this stuff um i kind of got rid of the dark crystal thing because i forgot about it we already looted stuff during the last uh you know before one long rest and i forgot to do that so it might just be instead of being a mechanical thing i may just make it a narrative thing like hey you feel you know slightly uneasy and you hear whispers every once in a while when you're at night and you've got these shardline items attuned or something but maybe not turn it into a big um uh, you know, debilitating thing because they already have their negative stuff built in, which is usually a charisma save or you suffer from a form of madness. Sun- sunlight can be done anywhere from five to seven, but five is best. Otherwise, they'll wreck it super easy. And keep in mind, like as a DM, you can easily scale stuff. Um, so that's just something I'm aware of. Like you you look at what it is and I mean, Prince of the Apocalypse was the best for this because literally every single dungeon was a separate level. So it was very fine tuned for each level, which also made it challenging because you wanted your players to hit them at, at those level milestones. Um rhyme has the opposite problem where like nothing is set to certain levels, so you kind of have to just play it by ear and and have the foreknowledge of experience of running five e and and look at different enemies and and realize you know what level the player can be to actually handle that stuff, which yeah I think level five is probably pretty close, but again, I can change things around there's actually a lot of fun dwerger stat blocks I plan on using more of them um from I think it's more than kind that added more dwergar, so uh that should make some blight. A little bit more entertaining. Uh, so yeah, this should be a little bit of a fight in here. And then um, we go down to the trap door. And we basically do everything that I covered uh, last week. Which was planning out this cistern area. So once you go down to the trap door, you find bodies. These are actually dead um, black swords. I mean, I keep saying cultists, but they're not... I'm not really framing them as a cult, just a, uh, it's a group. (laughs) It's a group with PR problems. Um, Of uh, those members dead and wrapped, they haven't been properly buried yet, because it's around frozen shit. Um, You can get in this boat. It's kind of a pain in the ass here, where the boat only holds two people, which is a little annoying, but maybe that ends up splitting the party up a little bit. I don't know. There's a rat up here, the sole purpose of which uh, Thimbleweed can cast speak with animals to get information about, because rats are pretty smart and they've been around. Um, I mentioned, I think last week, about turning Kadroth into a possible gibbering mouther, but I thought that would be too extreme and would paint him as too much of this nasty villain, which I've been hopefully doing a better job of making him more nuanced than that. Uh, it's a military order or it's an organization, yes. All of these are better. (laughs) That'd be a funny running joke, too, if they kept on saying, uh, what their group actually was. Um instead i think i'm going to use the gibbering mother thing for this prisoner in here so i've changed things i don't remember if i did this last week on crafting it's it's been a week but uh instead i am keeping the trap here which is this is i i've completely changed this lower area by the way this this in the book this is written as Averse's chambers sorry i'll scroll down you can't see the i, I keep forgetting that bars there um this used to be like Aversus Chambers and like a Shrine to Levistus and stuff that is not pertinent to my campaign or my area. So I changed all this to make it the prison area. Um, and it's got a security system, which is this Thunder Wave. Um, I think I used the Thunder Wave spell for C20. Oh, no, no, It's it's a gl- yeah Glyph of Thunder Wave. Um, DC12 Investigation Check. Unless the players are paying attention, I don't, I don't think I'm going to spell out the fact that there's Glyphs on the walls. And th- this party just does not ever search for shit, I'm always floored by whenever one of them is randomly like, oh, can I listen at the door with a perception check, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, like, it's, it comes up so rarely now, it's funny, um, whenever they come within five feet, and they don't have Shardolin on them, which at this point, Frey and Edmund do, so I have to remember about that, um, then it triggers the trap, which is 3d8 thunder damage, um, with a con save, or shoved ten feet backwards if they failed, and I would probably then have them roll a dexterity save to see if they actually make it in the boat or if they fall um, off the boat into the water, assuming the boat makes it to oh, this space. And probably the water is also gonna be a save or exhaustion, I think. We just had a big DM round table about exhaustion and how it's kind of a, uh, you could, it could be an improved system. But for the purposes of this campaign, I think I'm still running exhaustion just as is. Um, but that would, trigger a DC 10 con save anytime anybody enters the water or suffers a level of exhaustion because it's fucking frozen. Speak with goats. Yeah, <laughs> that's mainly what he does. There are goats in that fucking kitchen, by the way. Um, if they happen to go into that kitchen on the first floor. Dominate goat, man. I don't. It's so funny the way the goats have become a thing in this campaign. I, it was not my doing. It's And I didn't even realize that when I was reading it, but like so many of these missions have goats in them and he's just been speaking with all of them. Um, this area in C20 has three levers, uh, one lever goes to this prison door, one lever goes to this prison door, and one lever opens the giant marble slab that is the eastern side of the cistern, which I think just ends, um, maybe it goes underneath still, but it's kind of a dead end. Three of uh, yeah, just as a narrow tunnel carved to the north wall leads to area C24, which is where the prisoners are kept. Now, this is where you really start painting Kadroth as a bad dude, where he has been keeping the staff of uh, the Speaker, basically prisoners down here um, because, and maybe I can flavor it that I initially had them in these better prison conditions, but he had this um, uh, this one, um, basically a Chardonnay Berserker, uh, in here, and wanted to set up a kind of you know classic dark laboratory that that evil like surgeon thing that's kind of a motif or cliche in or trope <laughs> in uh horror movies, you know the dark asylum stuff uh which is what i'm gonna create here so I want to create this creepy little atmosphere down here where he's basically trying to cure someone of Shardle and madness, and he's doing that by um first like separating the person from chardolin and then maybe performing some kind of surgical experiments on them including going the opposite way which is shoving basically like embedding chardolin into their skin like getting getting them even more in touch with it to see if that would um, create some kind of different effect Um, still with the uh, purpose of trying to save this person but definitely being morally like messed up I think too. Uh, because ultimately what that does is it does calm this guy down, but of course it's it's a trigger trap that when the players get in here and even get close to this guy and read the journal notes and stuff, uh, he will then explode into a gibbering mouther, and that will be a little mini combat fight. So I thought that would be a fun little horror moment for me to interject uh, in this area. Be to assault them with a gibbering mouther, which uh, is kind of a cool little stat block. Um, German Mouthers, oddly, have very low attack, but it's very swingy. They only have a plus two to hit, which is atrocious, so it's very likely this thing will never hit anybody, but if it does, it does a 5d6 damage, I guess, with all of its mouths, uh, and it can, uh, knock them prone. Um, now, some of the time, it's got a recharge of five to six. It can also spit a chemical glob at a point it can see within 15 feet, the glob explodes in a blinding flash of light on impact. I did not expect this creature. I, I don't think I've ever used this creature before, um, which is going to be a fun one to unleash on my players because it's always fun to, you know, play D&D for five years and then throw a character, a creature at them that they've never seen. Um, But I didn't expect it to do... To Basically, all it does is blind you. With, I mean, it's called blinding spittle. I don't, I, I'd picture, like, poison damage or something damage, so I don't... I guess I shouldn't mess with the stat block too much, but I feel like I need to overcharge a little bit, make it a little bit more exciting. Now, it does have, I can't forget about this, it does have this gibbering trait, which means, every time a creature starts its turn within 20 feet of the mouther and can hear, it must succeed on a DC 10 whiz saving throw. On a failure, the creature can't take reactions and then has to roll a D8 to determine what it does during its turn. On a 1 through 4, it does nothing. It skips its turn. On a 5 or 6, the character takes no action or bonus action, uses all its movement to move in a randomly determined direction. So it does nothing but just moves, which that doesn't matter here for the purposes of this arena. Um, on a 7 or 8, the creature makes a melee attack against a randomly determined creature within its reach or does nothing and can't make such an attack. Uh, all of that is interesting and you have to remember to do that. So, I'm gonna remember to do that. Um, he actually explodes with terrain that... Oh, interesting. The Grinding a 10-foot raise from the middle is dough like difficult terrain. Each creature that starts its turn in the area must succeed. Wow, so he's got two things I have to cover every time somebody starts their turn. DC 10 strength saving throw at speed reduced to zero, which is odd because one of the effects is that it uses its movement to move in a randomly determined direction, so it wouldn't have any movement if it triggered both of those things. But so can keep people right there, so basically I'm hoping on having this creature explode obviously like right in the middle of this room, roll initiative, and then every time they start their turn, have the babbling um, and yeah that'd be the other cool thing is if they move up to like put this creature out of its misery like i want I want to wait till I get as many people into this room as possible they're poking around, they're examining this creature um and uh you know really have it be really creepy where he's like kind of got his mouth open and no sounds coming out and maybe there's like pustules all over his body and you can see like the veins like i really want to play up the fact that it's a creepy nasty situation body horror it's all about the body horror um and then have him explode into a gibbering mouther which i think would be fucking awesome you're right actually with blind i guess it does advantage to plus two these guys do not have the big ac that i've had previously also i've noticed uh, you know, previous campaigns we've had like George the Turtle Fighter Um who had like a friggin' 18, AT- or uh Tim the Warforged, you know, Cleric Fighter who had a friggin' 20 AC. You know, that is not the case here. I think the biggest um in fact our two uh tanky people are Monk and uh Barbarian, which are not known for their high ACs necessarily. So I think Freyda 15 maybe actually it's probably Thimbleweed. Thimbleweed probably has the best AC.
1: 16, yeah, so uh, that's something to keep in mind also, is they don't actually have uh, very good
0: defenses necessarily. So the cool thing is it can attack and use its Blinding Spittle if it's got it, so I really have to be careful about running this monster and remember um, all the things that it's got. Um, I will make a note right now. Where's this room? C21, because I guarantee we're going to freaking forget about this unless I remember right off the bat.
1: Uh Remember, aberrant ground. And
0: gibbering. Always be gibbering. Seeing this horde Monster 4, is combined with some other baddies that will greatly affect the encounter if there are baddies along with the gibbering guy. Yeah, that's the one problem I have here is... um. I don't have any other minions, so it's just going to be a single fight with this monster, which definitely makes it not nearly as as bad. And it's not meant to be, like, this horrible, debilitating thing. It's meant to be this horror moment where they fight this thing, um, and it kind of just... And what I'm doing here is I'm creating possible, like, evolutionary paths for Chardolin monsters, too. Like, the Berserker is only, like, stage one of going insane, and then maybe, you know, there's different stages of... You could turn into a Nothic, for example, which are prowling around etherin if you've got magical abilities. Or a gibbering mouther if you don't have magical abilities and you're just, you know, babbling and going crazy. So using, uh, I'll have to look up some other aberrations and see if there's other cool ideas and make it, make the whole Chardolin infection thing almost a body horror. Uh, Yeah, Jordan, I could, but the Aberrant Ground kind of already does a similar thing, which is a 10 foot radius around the mouther um, is doe-like difficult terrain. Um, basically, I will I will narratively frame that as literally explodes from the body and there's just this nasty shit everywhere. Uh, which actually, I could make a icon for in the map. Uh, I don't know. I do have a folder of roll 20 spell effects. I don't know if that would be applicable here if I really want to get fancy. This is kind of what I can do when I've got more time <laughs> uh, to make an individual area what would this look like? I've got like an acid burst. That would look kind of gross, like a stomach acid
1: thing. That might be the best option. Let's see what this acid burst looks like. Or a death clouds, the other thing. Uh let's look at acid bursts. Uploading. Ooh, that looks pretty gross. That literally looks like vomit. which is kind of I guess is more flesh is what I was looking for but I don't have a good f- flesh um <laughs> no spell grades a zone of flesh I can think of uh, I'm 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 leery about searching flesh on the roll 20
0: uh, art assets but let's see what it comes up with flesh golem that makes sense Uh okay let's it kind of gets pretty gross people do have like just squares of Flesh Bodies?
1: (laughs) Oh boy. Like part of another map though it looks like. I don't know if I can use... I can use this one. What does that look like? Okay, that looks (laughs) looks kinda scabby and gross. That might actually be better than the Stomach Acid one. With Evil Goats as minions. Alright, so a 10-foot radius would basically fit this room pretty well. Um, Problem is, I'd have to put it from the GM layer onto the map layer. Yeah, I've actually got the tentacles right there. So that's the other thing we can plan is the uh, ensuing fight that will happen. Because
0: if it goes onto the token layer, it's going to cover up all the stuff. So what I could do is put it from... back. fact, let's test that right now and be very careful. It's on the GM layer, so we put it onto the map layer.
1: It looks like that. Which we could do is on the map layer. Well, I can't put it. Let's see. Okay. Um, we need to... Let's put this back on the GM layer. Let's put these two... On the front. And now... We we're gonna put this on the map layer. There we go. Boom. And that's how you do roll 20.
0: <laughs> so that'll help me remind me the fact that this... Whole area is a gross Um, I guess I gotta extend the doorway too. Cause us say 10 feet and I kinda
1: wanna have them spawn... Right in the middle of the room. Actually... It a little bit further. GM layer. Extend it to there. And I'll just kinda dynamic lighting, will still close it off appropriately. It'll look nasty on my end, but it'll look better on their end. The boneless There is a there is a token for that, isn't there? It was annoying rather than deadly. I'm going
0: to make this a scary thing. I want to make this a fucking terrifying, like, the thing moment in my campaign, which I don't think I rolled. Uh... I did roll hit points. Okay, is it 72? Is said, above his average. Uh, which, that is a mess of hit points, although, apparently, gibbering Mouthers uh, have almost zombie-like AC, so you basically don't miss this mound of flesh. Actually, let me put him over here, because I don't want to have both him and the flesh on the GM layer. That's going to confuse me. Select the wrong one. So that's going to be a cool um, moment and a good storytelling moment where you can talk about how we had to move the prisoners to this other uh, area. You know, there's another room in there. Basically, they'll do the classic like finding the journal thing. So they'll, they'll learn more information about uh, kind of what Kadroth's done down here. In fact, somebody, yeah, Jason actually mentioned the thing, which is exactly what I'm going for here. Um,. There's nothing in this room. Um, At some point, I just don't think it makes sense to literally put something in every single room, so it's just an empty prison. Uh, But they obviously can open, and I don't think pulling the levers does anything, and and I'm gonna have it just have this one Glyph Trap. Um, However, I will have the Glyph Trap reset after a time, so maybe, you know, assuming they walk through it immediately after it's set, um, but then it would be really fun. With on the way back, they see that the glyph has reset if they if they're looking at it, <laughs> so I can just a chance to do more damage to them, which is a dick move. But hey, <laughs> um, I guess if they do, if, if the one gibbering thing goes off, they might be able to trigger the trap again too, because it does say they move randomly. See, on a failure, the creature on a five or six creature takes no extra bonus uses All of its movement to in a randomly determined direction. So, I guess I could roll. You know, there's only so many directions they could go, and if somebody's in the hallway, maybe they could go northeast. That would trigger the trap. That'd be the only thing. Um, the prisoners, they have all their, they're all laid out in the book. There's what is it, Krenock, sixty-four year old assistant notary and scribe. Um, there's the butler. There's like the butler's wife. Um, there's a housemaid, the dog keeper, like all the basically servants and staff of the um, castle are in here. And uh, that's the other thing you can tell that Kadroth is not a good dude because they just kind of stuck him in here. They're very malnourished. It's a nasty place. They don't have heating. Um, you know, they're probably suffering from exhaustion. Obviously, they want to be free as well. Um, so all the things they'll learn here will confirm the fact they need to take Kadroth out. Um, but hopefully my goal would be that they would go there before meeting Kadroth. So if the players try to st- to Kadroth again he would probably be smart enough to not let them in and if they try to force their way in then he would flee down here anyway and i would just have him be you know off screen at some point because i really want to trigger the return fight which is once they've got these prisoners they've you know talked to them or maybe they're trying to rescue them whatever they're doing they still only have the one boat so they're going to start going back and forth which that could be interesting if the players are separated and you've got you know whatever combination on this boat um and then i'm going to trigger what i've got over here which is of course kadroth showing up as the classic like slow clap villain you know showing up and being aware of where they are um i need to reroll for these two actually he's only got one thug now doesn't he because they took one out um this is actually the 41 hit point thug that i rolled earlier and then that one that's 24 is the one that's out here so i have to update this if they actually take these guys out i do want to respond to that they took one of them out So maybe i should replace that with just a simple cultist the problem is a regular cultist can't do shit from range he only has a scimitar and nothing else so if i literally just have him at range he can't do anything which is a little disappointing um cult fanatics however have um very basic cleric spells which doesn't necessarily jive with what I'm doing here, because they're not actually cultists. So I'm torn between keeping this like it is just for the sake of using a stat block versus using a different kind of stat block that's maybe more arcane-based, or they just, you know, they're using the and stuff. That's what makes them powerful. Um, So they're just dudes with, for example, like and arrows, or somebody with a and mace or something. Cult fanatics wield the amulets so they can absorb spells. Um, Kadroth, I am making more of a, I think, a
1: warlock? Scorpion cultures from Tomb of Beasts. I would have to look that one up. What, pupper? Oh, it is noon. You guys are getting hungry. Um, So Kadroth...
0: Ignore this part of it because I didn't update that. I, I updated him to basically give him a bunch of warlock spells so he's got hellish rebuke he's got arms of hadar expeditious retreat so he can flee um he'll mainly stay in the black and do elder stay in the back and do eldritch blast and i thought for his one cool like opening salvo thing he can like raise his amulet and use that to cast everard's black tentacles in the middle of the party which would be a pretty amazing long-range thing to do Uh, this could be a very difficult fight which you know what they're oh, they're due a difficult fight at this point. Like, the, the mushroom fight that was in the Dwerger outpost, none of the Dwerger stuff really challenged them, to my opinion. Not that I was disappointed in how it was run, but they just, they did it very tactically well. You know, the way they found the boss first, took him on by himself, and then kind of fought a few guys here, and then fought that whole mushroom area, and then funneled them in, used grease and all that. That was very nice. But this is a chance for me to finally ambush them and really put them uh, to their limits. Believe me, they have a ranged attack. Um, so Scorpion Cult is from Tomb of Beasts, I mean, I can, is that, um, is it from Tomb of Beasts 1? Because I only have the first one, I actually have a physical book of that, back to that back in the day. I don't have the other Tomb of Beasts, though, I don't, I, don't have, I think they've released more than one. Uh, so yeah, the problem is I don't have, uh, what, what would be fun is if, if, um, you know, because they looted those shardland Arrows, I forgot about that, Edmund looted that and gave it to, uh, Thimbleweed, and Thimbleweed's been shooting them, hopefully he's been keeping track of how many arrows he's got, I'll leave that up to the players. Um, I think he used at least like two or three in that fight, and I think they only had four. Oh yeah, so he used uh, two apparently. Good for him. <laughs> not been... Uh, obviously, I'm not checking up all the players for that. That's all their thing. So, I could do that. I could have somebody with like a crossbow. Um... And be able to fire the Shardlin Daggers. The problem is the Cultists do not wield a crossbow, so I could just have them wield a crossbow. And that way, they're still minions. Like, they still only have like nine fucking hit points. Um, I mean, It's basically the Bandit stat block. That's what I'm looking for, isn't it? It's the fucking Bandit. Bandit has simple ranged attacks. That's basically all I want
1: to use. Maybe I should just replace them with Bandits. I actually have Bandits in this campaign. I do! I think they have a weird dwarf
0: picture though. Yeah. They've got the light crossbow. Um, Let's see. Oh, there's a slightly different stat block, isn't it? It's... well, not that different actually. They still have a plus one dex. Plus one con, uh, plus three to hit, which I think is the same, yep.
1: Okay, so the only difference is the bandit has slightly more hit points. Uh,
0: why don't we just give these cultist guys a light crossbow? That would be easier than changing the tokens. So... Yeah, that's something I changed is um the they're supposed to be like this jokey simpleton um cultist and I made that into a I think it's a half ogre as the stat block I used which obviously he is a loyalist. Um he's CR 1 um hit points 30. I don't know if I actually rolled hit points for him. I could do that. Uh, AC 12. I did give him a shardlin battle axe. Uh, so he's got that more powerful, I think it's a plus one, and it triggers the con save and all that. Uh, so he's pretty strong. He only attacks once, but he can hit, like, a fucking truck. Um, and he could technically hurl javelins, but mainly he's there just to protect Kadroth. Uh, which I don't think you can actually... Maybe I'd give Kadroth half cover or something? I don't think there's actually an action you can do to, like, make it harder for other people to hit. Buddy, it's like the opposite of the help action. Um, but yeah, he would be sitting there... Uh, trying to protect Cadra. That's what I want to do. I want to create this cool situation. Um, so why don't we get ri- For sure we're going to get rid of this thug. Because they got rid of him. Um, if they don't get rid of this guy, then he'll be there. And he does have a crossbow, but he just has a regular crossbow. He'll just have a regular, um... Uh, or well, I guess it's a heavy crossbow. And then I do have one cult fanatic here that I just pulled. Uh, just so he's got one person. Again, I need to figure out if I want them to actually have different spells. Maybe they're using Aldrich Blast as well instead of Sacred Flame, for example. It doesn't make sense for them to be using Cleric spells. So we have rethemed it. Alright, I'm looking
1: up the Scorpion Golders right now. Alright, you happy? Are you happy? Tomb of
0: Beasts. Here we go. Shout out. Cobalt Press. All for you. Uh... Who mentioned it? I forget. <laughs> Jason mentioned, uh, Nathan. Nathan. Scorpion cultist. Um, I have used the creatures in here from the past, and what's interesting is these creatures are tuned a lot
1: more, uh, heavier than the ones for the monster manual, so you have to be careful about using them. Yes, I see you coming down the stairs. <laughs> I'm
0: here to learn all the things from I'm, the baby aggro tomorrow. I'm planning your demise. Well, I'm-, I'm not seeing the Scorpion Cultist, by the way. I see Scorpion. I do not see anything under Cultists, however. Are we sure it's not in the original Tomb of Beast? I do not see it. There's a Scorpion on page 340. Let's see if that's... it's just a Scorpion. Nope, oh, that is in fact just a scorpion. <laughs> so I don't think it's in the original one unless it's under unless it's called something else. I'm not singing a
1: cultist or scorpion. In fact, there's no cultists here. Um. Otherwise,
0: I don't know. Alright, so let's go back to giving. Well, you're pretty sure. I've got the book. So I don't know. Like I said, unless it's under something else, I'm not seeing. But uh, I think there's more than one Tomb of beast by now, also. I only have the first one. Might be under a different one.
1: Drag one of these guys down here. Uh, let's see, can I roll for there? The point? Sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't. I might have to redo the APIs again. I already rolled for Cadroth and those guys though. Shivering. yeah.
0: I haven't done a creepy voice in a while, have I? Think back to like the Nothic years ago. That was a fun one. Um, I know Chris always has a lot of fun with that. I think he's better at doing voices than I am. But uh, really creepy monster voices are very fun that I don't think I've got much of a chance to do. But yeah, that should be funny.
1: All right, so I'm giving you a light crossbow, but I'm also giving you the Shardelin arrows, or I guess bolts in this case. <laughs> you can be both. You can I add this directly onto the stat block? Although it does mean they have to suffer the miss effects too, but it's worth it. All right, so you can add Let's see. They get a plus 1 because they've got their decks. And their to hit should be a 3. And then the second damage is 2d. That actually makes them really nasty. Uh psychic your spell save DC or eight plus proficiency plus intelligence, which is just a ten. DC ten, whiz save. We can blind into the start of your next turn. That's pretty nasty. I just way up their damage. Does that equal. Oof. 12 damage
0: average and wisdom save. Yikes, that's a way stronger <laughs> Still only adds a little bit of hit points though But I think I'm only gonna have one of those and you know, he's easily taken out.
1: only got that many hit points
0: But that's a fun ex- you know, your your players can't metagame it too much, too They don't know exactly what these Creatures are gonna do then nothing is a reason I subscribe. That's
1: pretty cool. <laughs> that's a fun callback. How do I change your shit again? Or no, I just need to open the token, not the sheet. Uh can I get rid of the word cultists? Maybe I'll do their PR work for them. So we have one of those. We'll have one of these guys. Unless they take him out. I could still have one though. And then. It's gonna be too much. (laughs) He said, worriedly.
0: This guy can shoot him, this guy can shoot him. Andros gonna use his spells, and then we've got... I I need to recreate... um, I guess what kind of spells this guy can have. It's really gonna be like a balanced party though, like attacking the party themselves. And the thing that's gonna make this challenging is the environment. Because assuming I can get this off at the right area, um you may have the party split up with some people in the boat and um there's a distance here where if you try to traverse you know the water you have to worry about swimming through it which i don't recall what the swing rules are but i think they slow you down and of
1: course that's going to trigger um, possible exhaustion when you try to go in there uh let's see the swing work uh it's just double movement there you go
0: so it's twice as long to get across, and it would be fucking freezing water, freezing water which would uh, also also add to the challenge. And if there's maybe some writhing tentacles everywhere, that could be a challenge as well. So that would be a really fun moment. To, and I think that would be a very cool, like proper uh, boss fight encounter. Um, and keep in mind, they probably fought that uh, Mowler down there as well. So a little bit weakened from that. So this could be a really nasty situation. Um I did give Kadroth basically max hit points. Um using you know, I usually like to roll, but I'm kinda leaning more towards just giving them near max hit points if they're a boss. I think that's more balancing, make it more interesting. Um otherwise he still is a basic cult fanatic, but I just replaced his spells. Which I could do that for another one. I could just use the same stat block. Um just fewer hit points and just have it have the same spells. You could the other one could have Eldritch Blast, um Hellish Rebuke and all that. Um, I probably would not. Well, do they have second level spells? Let's see. Also, is anybody going to enter this in the Cobalt Fight Club and determine how hard of a fight this actually is? Because <laughs> I did not. And I think that's a really hard thing to gauge anyway. Is, um, I don't know. I feel like that I'm always underestimating my players, regardless of what the final outcome is. And I know, um, some folks have said, well, just don't do the multiplier that they tell you to do for like multiple creatures or, or, you know, do some kind of changes to edit it. But assuming we use, which is a pretty diverse group of people where each one is different, um, would be the cultist stat block, which the problem is also I pers- I I changed them. I modified them. So I gave like that guy. They've all got like chardaline weapons and material. So that automatically makes them all slightly stronger. In the case of the cultist, that doubles his damage, which is probably puts him in a whole other CR level. So, not including that, it's a cultist, a thug, a cult, uh, two cult fanatics, including one that's got completely different spells. Oh, is it really? I don't realize it went, went down. And half ogre. I haven't used it in like a year, so I wouldn't know, but that's that's interesting. Um. So, yeah, the problem is I've modified things so much where I don't think it would even... I'd be able to tell on, a, on something that just was based on CR. Uh, but if they take this thug out, I, I'll probably replace it with either nobody or a different cultist, although I'm worried that the actual cultist might be too strong because of the chardel arrows. (laughs) But it'd be funny because it makes sense that the enemy would have that material. That's the whole thing that's all about them. They're they're a bunch of humanoids, but they've got access to the chardel stuff. So he would have the arrows. This guy's got the mace. Um, The two fanatics have the amulets, which I do have to be careful that they could technically absorb each other's spells if that goes off. Um... The idea is they would both be basically full, so that would not happen, except um, obviously Kadroth would cast his at the opening round, which would be the black tentacle spell. So technically he would be able to absorb the other guy's spells if he used anything that was actually first level or above. So that would be a tricky thing I'd have to keep track of, especially if the players are like, well, wait a minute, based on these amulets work, why don't you do that? So I do want to kind of make it fair in that case. Um, But I probably need to rejigger this guy's uh, spells so that it's more in line with what Kadroth's got in terms of all those. maybe just Eldritch Blast is good enough.
1: because he could just sit back there and Eldritch Blast and probably be fine. I think it just, uh, yeah, it's just a simple
0: 1d10. They're not level 5 so that's all it does Just start right at 1d10. Uh, which, I mean, that right there obviously makes him a lot stronger because, well, maybe not a lot stronger than a normal Quilt Fanatic because they would do like Sacred Flame and I could still give him some spells. Hellish Rebuke is a great one because it's a reaction, uh, which super ups the damage your, uh, you know, poor NPCs that aren't gonna last very long anyway are gonna be able to do. Um,
1: Maybe concentrating on, well, no, I'm gonna replace that Shield of Faith. All right, what does Kadroth have? Kadroth's got Arms of Hadar, Hellish Rebuke, Shatter, Mind spike. none of which have concentration, I believe. Uh, yeah, let's rebuke. Actually give these spells to this other guy.
0: And yes, I'm flavoring them as being kind of these creepy,
1: like, you know, supernatural spells for sure. Supernatural slash mind spells. That's true. I need to finally use D. I don't use D and D beyond still for anything because <laughs> everything I do
0: is in roll twenty. So I really don't. Um, someday I will probably jump in and do it, but
1: it's not going to be today. Maybe we'll just give them access to fewer spells. Maybe not even give them any level two spells. Just Eldritch
0: Blast, and then if you react, you know a reaction you can do Hellish Rebuke, and then if anybody gets close, to Arms of Adar, although he's got all his buddies nearby, so probably wouldn't even do that. Alright, what are some recommended um, low-level good Warlock spells?
1: Shatter is kind of a generic like, AoE damage. See you, Shatter. legal department is the real yeah that could work I mean I don't plan he's not going to have that many rounds
0: but yeah that is the plan Um, obviously what the players do is going to affect a lot of what goes on here but um, you know planning D&D is all about kind of presuming what they're going to do and then try to react according to that and then having the adaptability to change plans depending on where they go but at this point, I'm uh, I was less confident last session. I'm more confident now that we've uh, we're going towards that direction. We've already got this party started. That this will be uh, kind of where they end up going next, and what we end up tackling next. Uh, and then, depending on how much combat we have and how long some of these fights take, we could even I could see us I could see us even getting as far as ending that fight which would effectively end this mission, although you need some more epilogue stuff after that. Or I could see us ending before that big fight uh, and then saving that fight for next time, which would probably be the better concept because I could see this being a very big fight. Um, so yeah, it's it's probably going to take another two sessions, if I would guess, but one session is possible. Again, depending on if they skip a lot of fights and or if fights go by really quick. Uh, but either way, I think that is going to do it for this week's Crafting Icewind Dale. So if you enjoy the content and streams, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to platinum patrons, Joe, Will, Dancer, Wizard, Princess, Christopher, Thomas, Captain Mike, Adam, Aiden, Stan, Nathan, Alex, Chad, Alexander, Dan, Daniel, Cam, and the Quizats, Hatterack. Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Terming Grenade, Critty Boy, and Yuma, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Ross, Lumpy Spuds, Drums, Scalini, Nick, Friday, Butterpants, Blood, Angel, Veronis, Baboon, Baboon, Nathan, Fast Like a Tortoise, and James. Thank you all very much for your support. I will see you tomorrow for DD.